and welcome to Cult Movie Cult, where we watch and discuss the horrific, the obscure, and the flat-out strange from the other side of cinema. I'm Mark Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink, and this is the third episode in our series Practically Terrifying, a celebration of 80s creature features. Today we're talking about a fan favorite, Little Shop of Horrors from 1986, directed by Frank Oz and starring Rick Moranis, Ellen Green, Steve Martin, Vincent Gardinia, and the voice acting and singing talents of Levi Stubbs. The film is a horror comedy musical that follows a lowly botanist named Seymour Krelburn, who discovers a sentient carnivorous plant that feeds on human blood. As the plant grows, Seymour's life begins to improve, but at what price? Jeremy, so this is one of my personal favorites uh, I've always wanted to talk about on this show, and to the point where I think it's actually on our logo. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, yeah I noticed yeah, that. The it, <laughs> Audrey 2 is on our logo. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've, I just this is one of those movies I'm like, we have to talk about it at some mm-hmm. point. Um, it fits into a lot of different categories, so I wasn't always sure where, yeah. you know, when to, when to talk about it, but I think for this series, uh, it, it's very appropriate. Uh, we're talking about practical effects creatures. Mm-hmm. This, I think, is one of the most impressive puppets or, you know, I guess animatronic as well uh, that I've ever seen in a movie. So mm-hmm. I definitely want to talk about that. Um, and, yeah, I'm not really sure why exactly this is one of my favorite movies. It's just it's it's campy. It's mm-hmm. colorful. It's a little horrific yeah. and unsettling in parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a musical. So a lot of good ingredients here for a cult film, certainly. Uh, and... It's, it's probably something about the mix of dark humor and horror in, in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, of course, the practical effects as well. Um, I also like the idea of something as innocuous as a houseplant yep. being <laughs> this big horror movie monster. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And also, I think the origins of it are really cool, and the story behind it, uh, what is mostly a faithful adaptation. Um, you know, I think I think it's the fact that it is adapted from a 1960s uh, Roger Corman film mm -hmm. is you know, and then and then which became a musical. So let's 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 get into it. Let's talk about um, the the history of, of it because I think it's it's int interesting how it all began. Um, so yeah, it's essentially it's uh, from the Corman original to a musical stage play to the musical film that came out in 1986. So um, it started with Roger Corman, as we you know we've talked about him on the show a few times probably at this point. Um, so the original came out in 1960. And that has an interesting story behind it and is a cult classic in its own right, that film. Um, we've talked about uh, on this show before, I think even just last episode, we actually were talking about the uh, about economical filmmaking. Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about the Deadly Spawn and how they, you know, they used very few locations and it seemed like a short amount of, amount, amount of time to film it. Um, so Little Shop of Horrors, the original that came out in 1960, um, that w was based on the idea of utilizing one location, um, a location that was actually being used for another film at the time that was being made. And Roger Corman, it was almost like a bet that he had with the other filmmaker where he said, I bet I could, you know, when you're not using that set at night, I bet I could shoot my own movie. Mm -hmm. and I could do it in two days. And the guy said, you're crazy. There's no way you can <laughs> shoot a movie, an entire movie in two days. Um, but, you know, he had access to his location and, and the way his mind works, like, you know, it was like, why are we wasting it when you're not filming? What, why don't we just make another movie? So I guess just based off of that, he came up with this whole entire idea because he knew it was a flower shop. And I guess just he took that and ran with it. Um, and so I think the, the idea behind that is, is pretty interesting. I, I mean, I don't know if in the end he actually shot in two days. I think he probably went back and, and did some other, you know, shooting for it at some point. Um, but the general idea, you know, behind it is, is a good one. I, for him, it's perfect, really. Um, so, yeah, the, the original was shot on a budget of 22500 to 28000 uh, so about uh, 250000 I guess, today. Um, yeah, with the interiors being shot in about two days. Uh, so they utilize the sets actually that have been, so this is another cult film that had been left standing for a bucket of blood mm -hmm. and, um, Dick Which Miller I, I is think, actually, I think shows I've up seen, in both of, I, I think I yeah. saw that a while ago. I'm pretty sure that's a wild one. Yeah. It's about yeah. an, an artist that, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's yeah. sort of similar yeah. in tone where it's, it's like he wants to get rich and famous and but the mm -hmm. means that he, he, to do that, you know, is, is questionable. Right, and, right, right, and, right, right. And this so Little Shop of Horrors is very much reminiscent of that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that came out in 1960. And, and again, it wasn't, you know, it's a Corman film. So not not a huge release, you know, not mm -hmm. something that everyone was raving about. But it, it found its niche and it was a cult film. Um, then it so years down the line, uh, 1982, it became a off off Broadway musical. <laughs> uh, so not even off Broadway. It was it was, you know, it was pretty. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was in the, on the fringes, I yeah. guess. Um, but it kind of found its way. And now I believe it does play on Broadway. Um, I mean, I now so. it plays like all over the place. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, which is pretty cool. So I've, I've seen the play um, and the movie is pretty faithful to it, um, except for some changes, mm -hmm. like a couple of songs are taken out and uh, 
changing of one of the songs toward the end and of course the end itself which we will certainly be discussing mm-hmm. um but for the most part yeah this new movie is the movie's pretty faithful to it um and it's the spirit of the play um and actually i was just discussing with my brother the other day about how nowadays we see plays and musicals all the time that are based on movies mm-hmm. like for for example the, there was a beetlejuice musical that came out recently yeah. like a legally blonde musical you know like all these different plays that are, are you know because they have an inherent audience i guess it's easier to to do that but back then um when, you know 1980 what did i say 1982 when this came out uh, as, a, as a stage play um that wasn't you definitely didn't see that as much um so the fact that it was based on a lesser known cult film i, I find pretty interesting because um, I'm sure a lot of people hadn't seen the movie, you know, they didn't really know much about it. And then they went and saw this gigantic plant on stage <laughs> and it blew their minds probably. Um, so then we have the movie, which was based on the play. And the movie came out in 1986, directed by Frank Oz, who's had an interesting career. Uh, just looking at the movies he's directed, they're very eclectic. They're all like pretty different from each other. I mean, obviously he started out with The Dark Crystal and Muppets Take Manhattan, which was, you know, he, he originated with puppetry and uh, the Muppets and, or yeah, the Muppets and uh, Sesame Street and all of that. Um, he's, you know, he has the signature voice for Miss Piggy and, and all these different characters. So, um, but then he, you know, he went on to do this film and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, What About Bob, uh, Bowfinger, which is sort of like an underrated cult movies, I think. Uh, the score, mm-hmm. the Stepford Wives, Death at a Funeral. So yeah, he's done a lot of different kinds of things. Bounced around. Yeah, yeah. bounced around a little bit. And you know, I like Frank Oz. I, I, I generally liked his, his movies. So, um, I think he's the perfect director for this. I don't know if you would agree with with that, but uh, yeah, know, when you're I mean, for the for the elements, it's blending. It seems yeah, like he's definitely the comedy the right and, kind of guy. Yeah, comedy and puppetry. So yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, so both the movie and the play, or sorry, yeah, both both this movie and the play um, have that '60s vibe to it, which makes sense since the original came out in 1960. Um, mm-hmm. So it seems like they took that and kind of ran with it, with the doo-wop music and the way the yeah. characters are portrayed and things like that, which is kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. We also have a couple of unusual leading characters, both fairly meek and presented as quote-unquote nerdy. Uh, mm-hmm. Although in the movie version, Seymour does end up saving the day, I guess. Uh, but we yeah. have we have Rick Moranis as the lead, Seymour Krellborn, and Ellen Green reprising her role as Audrey, which is also Seymour. interesting. Seymour. Yeah. Seymour. <laughs> yeah, I feel like no one else could really do <laughs> do that role. Yeah, I think they were. I right. don't think she says an R an R in the whole movie. <laughs> it's great. I love it. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's very unique. Um, yeah, and also cool that they they were able to have her reprise her role from the stage and be in the movie, mm-hmm. which you don't really see that much. I mean, can you think of any other examples of that? Like, off the top um, of your head, I mean, you know. Not off the top of my head. Yeah. I know there are a few out there. I'm sure but it's still, happened. Pretty, but pretty rare, yeah. Yeah, usually in minor roles, sometimes you'll see that, but not, not usually, like, the mm-hmm. lead or anything. So it's pretty cool. Um, and it kind of gives it, you know, more of a connection, I guess, to the, the stage production. Mm-hmm. Um and so, uh, Jeremy, when's the last time, I guess, you saw this film before you watched it again for, uh, so for the show? I don't think I had seen it because I, I really didn't remember. I think I saw it when I was like pretty young, like mm-hmm. maybe like 12 or th- so it's like 12 or 13. So it's been a lot of years. And, this, it, you know, it, did, it didn't like like I didn't remember that much of it. So it was kind of like almost watching it for the first time uh, mm-hmm. 
going oh, cool. seeing this doing the screening which was really fun because like as an adult you know my sense of humor is a lot different and i could kind of pick up on yeah you know a, a lot a lot of the kind of darker more twisted jokes that mm-hmm. maybe as a as a you know younger teenager i i couldn't pick up on <laughs> right um and so it was it was really fun i was like I don't know. Yeah, it was just it was it was just the the it was a lot kind of sharper than I and I remember it because you know like a movie yeah. you know this was this was a movie that was you know pretty successful and you know like I know like even even growing up like um, you know my parents are, are movie fans but they're not like into the kind of off kilter cult type movies that that we talk about on mm-hmm. the show but I remember growing up every time like you know, not every time but a lot of times my my dad would be cooking dinner I'd be like oh I'm hungry and he'd always go feed me Seymour <laughs> that's so and funny it was like, my family it was does like, the same thing it's so funny the same thing yeah we always think it's just that, like yeah. a, a culture so so it was like you know so I was always like oh well you know if this is the kind of thing that that many people have have come across then it's yeah. probably not like that weird you know I can't and it, but this is a really off kilter bizarre movie it's yeah like, like you grow up thinking of it as Oh, that's the talking plant movie. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's silly or whatever, and it is silly. But there, mm-hmm. yeah, the, there's a dark edge to it, and yeah, a dark humor to it, um, and like the message behind it is kind of is, is sort of dark. Well, if, especially with the original ending, we'll talk about uh, yeah. later. But yeah, it's, it's it has the the message behind it. I guess the play is 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 sort of darker and in tone. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I saw this movie when I was pretty young, actually, um, because mm-hmm. I, I always remember quoting that line, feed me Seymour. Feed uh, me Seymour. yeah, like we, we, you know, to this day, we, my dad says that line. So that's funny that your dad says mm-hmm. that as well. Yeah. Um, and cause I, I think like this movie just always stuck in my mind. And I think part of mm-hmm. it is because just because Audrey two as a creation is just so impressive and effective, Yeah. like definitely mm-hmm. effective because, um, so, for example, my so my five-year-old daughter watched this for the first time uh, mm-hmm. when I was watching it for the show, which I might be a bad parent, but <laughs> for showing her this uh, so early on, I, yeah, I a lot of it pro- a lot of it probably goes over her head. It's probably more exactly. Just a... I mean, I remember being a kid and watching this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how old I was, but a lot of it does go over your head, and you're you're just kind of along for the ride when you're younger. So. Well, it's it's not like a particularly gruesome movie. No, it's not. You know, like, it's it's a lot of implication. Yeah. It's just one of those things where as an adult, you can kind of, like, you know, like, the, the things that it makes jokes about are things that are, like, a kind of realistically, like, mm-hmm. it kind of, you know, it, it obviously has a whole dialogue about, you know, poverty and homelessness mm-hmm. and, you know, the kind of life of the the oppressed skid row um, skid row and but it's like you know kind of approaching you know you're getting musical numbers about it yeah so it's, it's, it's not that it diminishes it but it's it, it over just the has top very for sure yeah sar- sharp satirical edge where it's like you kind of get that they're the movie is saying it's a real problem but instead of showing it in a really really heavy way mm-hmm. they're they're approaching it with like doo-wop music yeah um so <laughs> exactly. like it approaches that it approaches like domestic violence yeah it approaches you know like it's and, and that i think that's what makes it such an interesting creation because mm-hmm. it's like you know it, it really uh, tackles a lot of kind of interesting things but in a way where it never feels like yeah it's trying to tackle them yeah it's just that's very you know, true they're, they're they're just there mm-hmm. and part of the story in a way that feels very organic yeah um definitely but it's very yeah. sharply funny like it'll it's it's kind of in the same way that the thing that it made me think of i don't know if you ever seen um uh, book of mormon yes i have the the play yeah. i did yeah it kind of made me think of like that like that tonally mm-hmm. where it's like it's kind of unafraid to make a joke about anything yeah um it's very satirical is, is always 
really fun. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. it has to be done well, because if it's not done well, and you're yeah, making like, a joke about mm-hmm. some of these things, it's not funny at all. Right. Um, it's sort of like no, nothing well, is, yeah, nothing is off limits, in a way. Yeah, nothing sacred. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I, I kept an eye on my daughter the whole time, just kind of, like, watching yeah. her face, seeing how she reacted to different things, because... Like you said, there's there is domestic violence. There's, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there's the plant, which at first is kind of like cool and different, but then you realize yeah. what the plant is doing and eating people, and yeah. you know, there's murder involved, and and the uh-huh. uh, the dentist is a sadist, and all these yeah. different things. So yeah, it was it was interesting to see her reaction, and I I didn't think mm-hmm. she'd be as into it as she was. She really liked it, and yeah. just watching her face again, like. So when the talking plant was on the screen, it was really something mm-hmm. to watch her, and because there's just something so vivid and and grotesque and fascinating mm-hmm. about the way that the plant moves yeah. and all its different detailed parts, and uh-huh. of course its gigantic mouth. Um, but yeah, my daughter was blown away by it. Like she, her mouth, her mouth actually dropped open when she saw the plant for the yeah. first time, like the the large version of the plant. Um, mm-hmm. It probably gave her some nightmares, though, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Yeah. But. Well, I, I think part of it, too, why, like, a movie like this could work for a, a kid or, or, you know, someone younger is that the plant, even though what it's doing is pretty horrific, but the way it talks is kind of, like... Kind of funny. It kind of talks like a cartoon character. Right, yeah. So it's, like... Because <laughs> I think it, if it came in, it was, like, feed me, see yeah. you know, feed like, me now. It would, be, it would be really scary <laughs> It'd be for a little, little different, kid, yeah. But because it comes in with its kind of squeaky, you know, playful, mm-hmm. pitchy voice, it's, mm-hmm. like... You're kind of like, oh, and, and I think that's part of why the plant character, why, why Audrey 2 is kind of such a likable, fun character. Yeah, I think is that the voice has a lot it, to do with that, for sure. Yeah, and I think well, I think, and I think that's one of the performances in this movie that probably gets overlooked a little bit. Yeah, I, like, I wanted you know, to talk about that a little bit. Uh, Levi Stubbs. So he was in the Four Tops, uh, which is interesting. They got an actual, like, singer to do, the, you know, to mm-hmm. do this role. Um, but I think he's, it's one of those roles that's so unique and mm-hmm. you, you kind of can't hear any other voice now when, you know, no. like if they were to remake this film, which I'm sure they will remake it at some point, uh, I just yeah. can't picture anyone else you know doing the voice, but, um, because mm-hmm. he does have that like element of comedy, but also a little bit threatening, a, yeah. l- a little bit like, kind of like, you know, you better do this for me or else sort of thing, uh, which is mm-hmm. perfect for this character, you know, cause at mm-hmm. first, you, you know, the, the whole idea is that you're you're underestimating this this creature because it's a plant but mm-hmm. it can kill you and you know chomp you up so <laughs> well i also i think it it's so funny that he was the voice and that he he approached the performance like that because when you're seeing this thing you know i mean most people going into this movie i would imagine even when it came out had an idea like okay it's the killer plant movie mm-hmm. you know like it, it, it's, yeah. it's not like you're approaching it unless unless you're one of the people who's lucky enough to approach this movie completely blind in which case right. you know god bless because that's <laughs> that must be one hell of an experience um but like unless you're you like you you've heard oh it's a killer plant movie and you know we're so used to seeing like you know alien and movies and things like that and they're always like you know they always kind of sound similar this grumbly you know threatening yeah. like and then and then it starts talking and it just sounds like some guy you know like He's like so, like so, like one of your your uncle's friends or something <laughs> yeah. like that. You know, it's like it, it, it's like it's funny. It's it's like just totally it's totally. It reminded me of the experience of like in a very different way, but somehow similar. I was talking to a friend one time, and she was talking about seeing a Marlon Brando movie for the first time, mm-hmm. and like you know you saw Marlon Brando show up, and he's this really good looking, you know, like handsome, lean. 
And then, like, he starts talking, and he has that kind of little mumbly voice, mm-hmm. and how it was, like, almost like cognitive dissonance, but in an intriguing way, where you're like, oh, so that's, like, that's who that guy, you know? It's like, yeah. same thing with the plant. It was like, oh, like, this plant, it's growing, and you expect it to, you know, but I think by the time we hear it talk, it's pretty big. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think it's, like, that little. I think we hear it talk, it's already, Yeah, when like, it's when it's bigger, yeah. Pretty sizable. Right. And you expect it to have this big, booming voice, and mm-hmm. then it just kind of has the voice of this, you know, kind of fun like you know yeah kind of goofy it's 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 an interesting decision yeah one wouldn't i mean (laughs) i don't know if one would have any expectations about how a plant would talk but when you hear it when you hear it talk it just makes so much sense like the way it comes out and yeah i think he did a great job with it um Mm -hmm. and i'm trying to remember when i saw the play if if they almost in tip like they kind of imitated his voice a little bit with it Mm -hmm. which i don't know uh, you know the original production. I don't know if he sounded like that or not. So that that might have been like a holdover yeah, from the movie because it was so iconic. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, so that that's the main cast, uh, including the plant. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I always when I had first gone back to this movie because I had again I saw it when I was a lot much younger, um, and then I kind of went back to it years later, which is kind of when I fell in love with it a little bit. And um, I, I had forgotten like what a full-on musical it is, um, especially in the opening number, uh, where you have the Little Shop theme theme song, obviously. But mm-hmm. then after that, um, the Skid Row number, the downtown song. Um, mm-hmm. I mean that that's just again full full-on musical. Like they're going for it, you know. And I, I kind of forget that a lot of the times when I think about the movie, just how much of a, a you know how much of a mm-hmm. faithful adaptation it is to a stage musical. Yeah. Even down to the set, I mean, it's such an impressive set that they mm-hmm. built for this film. I was watching some of the behind-the-scenes footage, and you know, they, they built all of that. All, everything that you see there yeah. they, was built. Um, so it's it's just so impressive, and it gives it that mm-hmm. sort of insular feel. Um, not only does the film and the play take place in this little little shop <laughs> for most mm-hmm. of it, um, you know, even when you go outside of the shop, you still kind of have that. You know, I, I'm I'm a fan of things being insular like a kind of like these created worlds that are like their own thing yeah. and it, it feels like a dollhouse it feels you know, like a doll like... yeah it feels like they're kind of moving around this yeah like a dollhouse it's mm-hmm. a good good way to think of it um mm-hmm. yeah so what do you think about like i guess the the way the movie looks and the, the sets and things like that yeah I, th- I thought it was really cool it was really fun it kind of uh 
you know, which I guess working around the similar time, I'm not sure if they were influencing each other in discussion, but kind of reminded me of like some Tim Burton movies, particularly like Edward Scissorhands or, mm-hmm. you know, like something like that. Or even where, like you know, you, you, Batman a little bit, like the original yeah. Batman. Yeah. The sense. Where it's like you're, you're not trying to hide that the that you're in a, a created world, mm-hmm. you know, like the the big painting. Some, my, some of my favorite sequences in the movie visually were the, the number, um, the, the musical number, the name of the song is escaping me. Um, but the the one where um, Audrey is singing about her her dreams of this kind of oh somewhere uh, that's very green. somewhere that's green yeah, yeah. It was where she's singing about her dreams of this kind of very nice home life and you have these these green gardens that are sprawling and lush but clearly you know kind of made of like carpet and plastic um, <laughs> yeah. but but like it was just, but you you can get just these sat these rich saturated colors and the big painted cloud backdrop there it was like. It was really like, visually interesting. Yeah, it's very like Norman Rockwell. Yeah, or like or almost like fifties sort of. Yeah, like, which is which is probably I'm, I'm willing to bet Norman Rockwell was like, you know, if, if we dug deep, we could probably find things in his works that were pretty much pulled expressly mm-hmm. for this. You well, know. it's supposed to be like an idyllic, you know, uh, yeah, dream that she has, sort of. But it, that is funny that everything looks so artificial at the same time. <laughs> yeah, which which is a nice which is a nice contrast, I think. Um, you know, I mean, because it's it, it's weird. Like, I don't think this movie is expressly a political statement, but like taking into consideration that it was made during you know the peak of the Reagan eighties, mm-hmm. and like you know is is a movie where like the main characters are people living in a a, a very diverse downtrodden city community, all just dreaming of these lush green lawns and this mm-hmm. very kind of Rockwellian Reagan esque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know suburban life american like, dream you know, it, yeah the american dream but then you're seeing what they're actually dealing with which <laughs> is that like even the thing that's supposed to be green and bringing life and oxygen is a monster mm-hmm. you know it's like wow, that there's really no kind of safety and sanctity and yeah. everything any opportunity they have to make money through the whole film is always tied to something really deeply troubling and violent but, it's like yeah i don't know you know i mean i, I might be reading too much no into I, it. I don't i don't i think you're right on that, yeah. Yeah, like I like I don't know if the if the if the filmmaker set out to make an explicitly political statement, but I think that like, you know, as we've talked about with plenty of movies, it, it's kind of unavoidable if you're making a movie in a certain time, the 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 feelings and sentiments mm-hmm. of that time are going to sneak into yeah. the film. And like we said, there's there's definitely layers to this movie. Like it's not just yeah. what you see on the surface, so which is one of the mm-hmm. things I like about it so much. Um mm-hmm. and even the irony of somewhere that's green, which she's what she's singing about that's this idyllic uh setting and dream for her and this Mm -hmm. life that she wants to have i mean the irony that now this is again dipping into the original ending of the play and the movie Mm -hmm. itself uh where she is fed to the plant i don't know if you saw this Mm -hmm. part we'll we'll talk we'll get it we'll get into all this Mm -hmm. more later but i i sent you a clip of of the ending and i don't Mm -hmm. know if that part was included but yeah seymour actually feeds uh feeds Audrey to the plant. So she Oh interesting. After she dies. So she's been bitten by the plant, she dies mm-hmm. and she says she wants to go somewhere that's green. And he mm-hmm. so is it has this very like deep and, and very dark, very sad meaning uh in the end. Which which, which I think is just shows like how dive it shows that the movie is deeper than what a lot of people think. Because I, th- yeah. I think when people think of this movie, they still think of just the talking plant movie, the singing plant, yeah. whatever. But there's mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot more to it. I think that's what always draws me to it uh, in a way. But um, 
just to go over now I'm, I'm not gonna we're not gonna go scene by scene or anything like that I just wanted to give an overview of what the film is about essentially what the the play is about um, so we have Seymour Krellborn who's our main character he works in the shop this plant shop and uh, he buys the plant for a dollar ninety-five, as he says, uh, which he introduces to the shop. Um, you know, they're they're down on their luck. There are no, not many people coming into the shop, and this causes a stir because of how strange and exotic it is. And um, the plant from there, you know, it starts to grow and <laughs> eventually talk, um, and it essentially asks Seymour for his blood. You know, because he's trying to find a way to to make it grow uh, during that one song in the, when he's in, his, in the basement and he's, uh, you know, trying to figure out how, how can he, you know, he wants to keep this plant going because it's, it's causing all this fame and it's, it's causing all this success for the shop. Um, so eventually he, he finds out that it wants blood. Um, and eventually after that, human sacrifices <laughs> to keep it growing. So, um, and at first Seymour is reluctant, uh, but the plant convinces him, uh, quote, a lot of folks deserve to die which they they use a dentist as an example, which we'll talk about a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Seymour sort of gets caught up in his sudden fame and success and, of course, the attention of the girl of his dreams, Audrey. He even names the plant Audrey too. Uh, but he finds himself in quite the dilemma and, uh, you know, keep making these sacrifices and feeding the plant human food or just stop it all altogether. So that's kind of mm-hmm. like the core of, of what the film is about and the musical as well. Uh, which is an interesting plot, I think, and um, it's handled really well, and we have lots of cameos along the way, so let's get into these a little bit, because Mm -hmm. there's so many of them, and they're all kind of notable. Um, I think the most notable probably is Bill Murray playing the role of the masochistic uh, dentist patient, Mm -hmm. and (laughs) interestingly enough, originally played by Jack Nicholson in the original Corman film, I believe only his second film at the time, some people I was going to say, say it would have to be pretty early. Some people say it's his first film, but I think he, he might have done one before that, but just a yeah. sp- small role. But mm-hmm. um, And uh, <laughs> what did you think of Bill Murray's uh, role in this film? I thought it was really funny. I think the, <laughs> you know, I think the, scene, the scene is just so bizarre. I mean, it's the, so the, bizarre, the, yeah. The, I mean, the dentist character in general. So there were definitely a few moments where I laughed out loud in this movie. Yeah. But the the one where I like I definitely had the hardest laugh was the reveal that he was a dentist. Yeah, let's let's like, talk about you know what? Over. Yeah, let's talk about Steve Martin we'll, right now because Yeah, he, we'll, we'll get there for it cuz I feel yeah. like you can't get to the the the, the masochist or the the, <laughs> the 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 masochist without talking about the sadist. Yeah. Yeah. When I was younger just to My mama noticed funny things I did. Like shooting puppies with a BB gun. I poison guppies when I was done. I'd find a pussycat bash its head. That's when my mama said. What does she say? She said my father had me someday. You'll find a way to make your natural tendencies pay. You'll be a dentist. You have a talent for causing things. Hey, some be a dentist. People will pay you. Your temperament's wrong for the priesthood. 
Yeah, I don't know. Just that that first scene when 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 the the musical number and just the introduction. Oh, just the introduction of it's Steve such Martin a great in general. It's such a great introduction. Yeah, like that always like floors me with it. It's just, it's just the best reveal ever when he's you know because he's he's riding. So he's supposed to be presented yeah. as this badass like almost mm-hmm. like a 1950s greaser character. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's he's beating his girlfriend and and, and mm-hmm. generally just a bad person, and yeah. um, and he's and then during his song, which I think is one of the best songs in the movie, the dentist yeah. song, um, mm-hmm. you know, you see him riding his motorcycle and talking about mm-hmm. what a, what a bad kid he was. You know, he used to used to shoot BB guns at puppies and things like that. Yeah. And then you know you see him go to work and pull up and takes off his his leather jacket and. He's a dentist, you know. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> he's singing a song about he being changes, a dentist. He changes a, a black jacket for a, a white jacket yeah. and does the exact same thing inside <laughs> his work. And as it's he like, does outside. and also just the, the you know the added character trait that he kind of gets off on mm-hmm. <laughs> on being a dentist and and uh, <laughs> working on people's well, mouths which, and causing them pain, I guess is yeah. You know. Which also uh, you know go, going back to this movie as like a kind of cultural critique is kind of funny that it's showing you know like when you think of the most valuable members valuable respectable members of society like mm. dentists need to be near the top of the list oh yeah you know well he has and, he has his girlfriend call him doctor right doctor <laughs> well, yeah like he everything has to be yes, even, even even in the credits of the movie he had dds, DDS. At the, end of the character <laughs> yeah. name yeah. it's like it's really funny you know it's just like yeah it's, it's just it's, so bizarre it's it's, it's so out yeah. like the character of the dentist I, I just think it brings this movie to another level in a way like it's, mm-hmm. it's so out there Mm-hmm. It's just, but it's great. Like it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's part of what makes it a cult movie that it has yeah. a character like that. Um, Orin Scrivello DDS. DDS. <laughs> you have yeah. to put the doctor. Yeah. yeah, and it's a different kind of role for Steve Martin. You don't see him playing like a villain that often. No, you don't. Um, well, that's why it was even that because because you know I had totally forgotten that he was in this and like you know I, I try generally you know more and more I, I try not to like look movies up before I watch them. I try to just go in as blind as possible because I, I want to have the experience as the filmmakers were probably thinking of it and like i totally forgot he was in this movie so you know they're they're the whole time they're just setting up uh talking about this this character just saying oh you know he's so bad he's so violent and i'm trying to picture in my head like who this guy is going to be and then we just have that cut where steve martin just comes in on the on the motorcycle with hair blowing around in front of like the i think it's like rear screen projection and i just i wasn't ready for it to be steve martin and I just, I just, I was like, it just totally, it just totally tickled. I just, I, cause I'm like, who, who is going to be this actor? Like what, like, you know, what 1986 yeah. actor could be, you know, like this tough, bad guy. And then it's just, yeah. you know, the, somehow, the, the somehow it works. Yeah. It's yeah. Like the, the guy from Saturday, uh, the guy from Saturday Night, I like, you know, who's known for the jerk and it's the jerk. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, there are sh- like, even with the character, I mean, he's pretty sadistic. There are shades of like blue velvet a little bit. I was that was definitely popping in my mind a little bit. Gassing yeah. himself, um, which came mm-hmm. out the same year actually. Same year, yeah. Which is really that's a weird zeitgeist <laughs> thing to actually like an abusive, an abusive yeah. sadist who, it, like, has an addiction to nitrous oxide. Yeah, like I don't, I can't think of, I can't think of another movie in the history of cinema that has that, and mm-hmm. that two came out in the same year. That is, is odd. actually very strange. Mm-hmm. And two, two that were had this kind of. 50s 60s americana doo-wop feel mm-hmm. yeah like it's a very weird yeah a very weird zeitgeist kind of thing i don't know that's, that's kind of strange actually yeah you definitely get shades of frank a little bit in in yeah. the character um 
and uh, so yeah, see, I mean, so uh, well, let's talk about the other cameos as well because there are so many. Um, so we have a lot of people from that time period that you just think of in terms of comedy. Uh, John mm -hmm. John Candy shows up as a, a radio host and or a radio mm -hmm. show host, and uh, oh, Christopher Guest also shows up. Yeah, which I love how <laughs> I noted how tongue in cheek, like and over the top, like a like a lot of the cameos were. I mean, I think yeah. I think his is the most overt. Chris mm -hmm. Christopher Guest he plays one of the um, one of the the flower shop patrons that comes in and. That's, mm -hmm. that strange and exotic plant just the way he talks is it's just so over the top uh but yeah you see that quality in like a lot of the cameos i felt like um mm -hmm. bill murray obviously he's like orgasming on the dentist chair yeah uh well I, I thought the funniest thing about that scene was how uh the the steve martin character or in scrivello dds got really upset when he realized that he was dealing with a masochist yeah oh he gets so like he gets soon, so mad about as it. soon as he realized what he was dealing with he kicked him out like his his sadism is not satisfied if yeah. the other person is enjoying it <laughs> he was enjoying it, it, it too to, much yeah it has to be pain you know yeah he wants them to feel pain yeah he gets so disappointed his his reaction to it is so funny mm -hmm. um <laughs> and uh yeah so did you get did you get that feeling from like a lot of the cameos that they were kind of like over the top and played in a really big way like i wonder if yeah, well, i wonder if that was a, I, a direction from oz himself or if that was just how yeah, well, I, I feel like at that point i'm just thinking like you know a lot of these like you know a lot of these people have this this kind of sketch background mm -hmm. um and you know they're they're clearly being brought in as cameos mm -hmm. you know like it's definitely not just like we're casting this thing mm-hmm you know, like, it was, it was very clearly, like, we we're bringing these people in because it's going to be fun to see these people. Yeah. And so I feel like it was kind of maybe even, like, a competition, you know, because they all definitely knew that the others were right. doing it as well. Yeah. And they're all probably like, all right, I got to, you know, mm -hmm. I got to make mine the wackiest of the bunch. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I, I got to I gotta try to push it. And, you know, yeah. I, I can imagine, you know, Bill Murray <laughs> hearing that, like, John Candy's going to be in it. And yeah. Just, oh, and you're right. Like, yeah. You're right. I'm gonna push. <laughs> also, just playing against Steve Martin in that scene, I'm sure he saw yeah. how, how big he was playing it, and I mean, it doesn't get hammier than Steve Martin. You know, he's like one of the biggest hams. I feel like. Uh, well, you think about it. Kind of everyone, with the exception of Rick Moranis in this movie, is really over the top. Yeah, I mean, like, which is I think what kind of makes him a good mm -hmm. center. Yeah, you know, like he has moments like, where he's a little like, you know, what are you doing down there? Very little, Mr. Mushnik. You know, it's a little, like, over the yeah. top. But but also the way that Audrey talks is over the top. So it all kind of works in a weird way. Well, and you know what it is, though? Yeah. Of all these characters, like, Rick Moranis, he's a little cartoonish, but he kind of still feels like someone you could actually see. Yeah. You know, like, it's, it's almost like he kind of feels like a, like a Woody Allen kind of yeah, very or something very, like that. Mm, very nebbish. Where it's like, like, very everyman. Kinda. Yeah, like in a different story, that exact character played the exact same way might not feel cartoonish. Mm -hmm. um, like he, whereas all the other characters, regardless of what story you put them in, if you play them that way, they're going to feel cartoonish. Yeah, um, which is I think what kind of makes him like you know, in a story this out of control, that he's the one who is kind of logically sees the problems with things. Mm -hmm. Whereas for everyone else, it's like you know, I mean, even going down to like Mr. Mushnik finding out that. His he, his employee has chopped a man a dentist up with an axe, <laughs> and instead of calling the police, his first thought is like, "I'll let me just take the plant because I can make more yeah, money off of it." Yeah, and you exactly. run away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's definitely yeah. The satire of it, I think, is is what makes it yeah. so over the top. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, and we forgot to mention Jim Belushi. 
uh, John, Belushi, John Belushi's yeah. brother uh, plays mm-hmm. sort of like a businessman marketing guy towards the end. Mm-hmm. They'll be bigger than hula hoops. Um, was John Belushi still around at that point? No, he had died. He had died in the yeah. early eighties. Yeah. yeah. So um, I imagine it w- probably would have been John, if not, you know, if things maybe. had gone different. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so we talked about a lot of the cast um, and the actors, but we haven't really. I mean, we t- we did talk about the plant a little bit, but I want to talk about the designer of the plant. Uh, his name mm-hmm. was Lau Conway, and he had worked with Oz uh, before, actually, on Dark Crystal and The Muppet Caper. Mm-hmm. And he did get nominated for an Academy Award for this, which I thought was very well-deserved. Um, yeah, absolutely. And also, he had to create... So it was interesting because he had to create uh, the plant at different sizes because, obviously, it starts out as, as one yeah. size and then ends up much bigger than that. So, um, And it was actually, like, sort of... Um, I don't know if revolutionary is the right word, but it, it's uh, the way they created the, mech- the the vines for the for the the plant. Uh, they used these mechanical vines that were like that were able to move, and apparently that was the first time anything like that had been done um, with with mm-hmm. practical effects. So um, they kind of created something new just to to make it look as as real as possible because um, it has so many different moving parts. Um, actually, up to sixty performers at a time manipulating. And controlling That's the crazy. plant and all its moving parts. Yeah, and I, and I was watching the behind-the-scenes footage, and you can actually see, I don't know how many it is that they're showing, but just all these people, uh, you know, podcasts are not a visual medium, but uh, but kind of just waving their arms around. And it's, it looks ridiculous, but it's like mm-hmm. when, you, when you think about what they're actually doing, like it makes sense. But just all these people behind the scenes that are manipulating it, you know, people underneath the set, people behind the set, um, all moving at the same time. So it's really mm-hmm. something... And um, also they had to shoot the scenes with the plant, particularly the singing, at a lower frame rate um, of 12 or 16 sometimes as well with slowed down audio so that it would match up because they couldn't get the plant to move fast enough to, you know, to be saying its lines and, and, and doing everything all at once. So they had to slow it down a little bit and then they would mm-hmm. speed it up in post. One thing that Frank Oz knows, it's puppets. So, uh, yeah. again, I think he was a good choice for this film. Because um, this is quite the puppet. Um, I mean, how would you compare this practical effect creature to the others that we've discussed so far in the series? Um, I mean, I think at least compared to, like, the Deadly Spawn, it's clear that this one had a lot more kind of uh, time and resources going into resources, it. Resources, yeah. Um, because it was just really, really deliberate. 
mm-hmm. you know like I, the thing the thing that kind of impressed me the most was just how the the talking like mm-hmm. just watching it and the how like lips the lips move. yeah yeah like to me like the like the, the lips were forming the shapes that a human mouth would form as it was speaking maybe that was me just like projecting and just hearing it and and connecting it but like mm-hmm. it looked really realistic to oh, me it at matches the very up, least like, they yeah it matches up yeah they timed it perfectly mm-hmm. um so i just a really you know yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I we we're going to talk about, like, believable. Like, did I believe that it was a real plant? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a as a puppet, did I believe that it was real in that world 100%? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it's um, similar to the play, because the play obviously mm-hmm. has a large puppet as a, as a, as a plant, yeah. but much more elaborate, though, and intricate for the film, because you're, yeah. seeing, it, you're seeing it close up, you know, um, mm-hmm. and it has to do a lot more different things like so one scene that kind of blows me away when you think about the practicality of it um is mm-hmm. the, the scene where the plant it, it's just the plant actually it's i think it's the only scene in the movie where you you're just with the plant um as as the ever the other characters kind of leave the shop um but the plant uh, is able to move itself uh or like it's kind of yeah. move, it kind of moves around it even makes a phone call <laughs> it puts mm-hmm. it puts a quarter in you know and it's sort of like fascinating to watch because there's nothing else going on there's no dialogue or anything it's just this plant moving itself around and it really just like shows you how impressive the effects were and, and all the work that was put into it um yeah and that so that, that scene always stands out to me um but speaking of scenes were there any scenes that, that stood out to you that you thought were particularly like entertaining or uh, like I mentioned, I mean, just, I, I think some of my, which is not normally the case for me, um, but I think, like, my favorite scenes in this were just a lot of the musical numbers. Mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, like, like, I, like, I'm not a big musical number, but when a musical works, it's the best thing, you know, when it's just shot perfectly yeah. um, and you just kind of move through, like, like the, the you know, the, the, the suddenly Seymour sequence, which is one of the more kind of earnest, sweet scenes mm-hmm. in the movie, like, it really covers their relationship progressing and uses the the form of the musical perfectly because you get at the beginning it's just a conversation and by the end time has passed and they're really you know like full-on ballad coming out after that (laughs) yeah and and they're and they're fully like solidified like it's like oh they're in a relationship and it was just Mm. like um yeah you know the the I don't know, yeah, I, I think just, just kind of, the, the, I, I can't think of one specific one. It was just the, the musical sequences in general yeah. were just when I was kind of totally in awe of this film. Mm-hmm. It was just, it because they're so funny mm-hmm. and so smart. The songs are good, which is always, you know, can, can be kind of hit or miss in musicals sometimes. Right. Um, but this one had fun songs. and Yeah, I think. Yeah. And, and the, the, I, I think the if dentist I, if I had song to pick is one, probably my personal favorite out of all. Yeah, I was going to say, if I had to pick one, it would be the dentist. Just that entire uh, you know, beginning to end the, that whole sequence, that whole sequence, which is funny because I'm willing to bet Steve Martin's not in this movie really for probably more than ten minutes. You know, maybe <laughs> that's 15. why. Yeah, I mentioned him with the cameos. I, I guess he's not officially a cameo in this movie, but he kind of feels like he is. He just, he's like he he's has like a energy. cameo, but he kind of it's it's so sick. You know, what it is though he gets a musical number, mm-hmm. and I don't think any of the other cameos do, unless I'm yeah. wrong about that. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But yeah, and so like they, like that's why it kind of just feels like like he came in and was a part of the movie. Like mm-hmm. the 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 movie, you know what is the the movie without without the cameos, if they were just other actors, the movie would still work. Mm-hmm. You know, it just wouldn't have this fun kind of thing of the cameos. Yeah. Without Steve Martin, the movie would be substantially different. Yeah. A lot less fun, I think, cuz he just bring, yeah. he brings so much energy to it. He, again, the yeah. energy of a cameo sort of is what he brings to it. Um yeah. So yeah, let's let's get uh, to uh, one of the main things I want to talk about is the ending. Uh, mm-hmm. So 
there's an alternate ending or an original ending, uh, mm -hmm. same as the play ending, um, mm -hmm. that they completely shot. You know, yeah. every it was completed, um, mm -hmm. but they ended up not using it, and I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, so when I first discovered this um, and realized I could, so I had read about this this original ending, and I was reading the description of it, and I just kind of was like, wow, that's that's so different. <laughs> it sounds amazingly mm -hmm. different than what we actually see, because the ending of the film is that um, Seymour is a hero. He you know he has this kind of last showdown with the plant and. Ends mm -hmm. up electrocuting the plant, and the plant explodes, which is a bit mm -hmm. abrupt, you know. But we need to stop and think yeah. about it. Because um, they, they they didn't they didn't really set up like a wire falling down at any point. No, they didn't. No, it's 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 they, all completely. Yeah. They had to go back and reshoot, and yeah, yeah. Um, but most of that last number remains the same. Um, but then the differences start. So when I first heard about that, um, I was I was really intrigued by it, and I, I remember when I realized I could flip over the DVD that I had. And I could actually watch it, and I was blown away yeah. uh, that it was actually on there. And I didn't know all this time. I think even back to the laser disc days. I think because the com mm -hmm. the commentary I listened to was from the '90s, I believe, from Frank Oz. Yeah. Um, so I think it goes back to even even that long that this has been viewable. But um, to me, when I first discovered it, I just couldn't believe it because uh, it's so different, and in my opinion, so much darker and better. Yeah. Um, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, it kind of when you, it makes the, the the rest of the movie kind of make sense in a way. Yeah. Um, it was in black and white on the original DVD release, but there's a full color version, which must have been really which, cool. I feel like seeing that ending in black and white would actually be kind of it perfect. was. Well, it was perfect. Yeah, well, the first time I saw it when it was black and white, it, it made sense. Yeah. Because um, even just seeing it at all was really cool. Um, but they did release the full color version uh, eventually on the director's cut version, uh, which I upgraded to. <laughs> so it's uh, I. I have that DVD as well, and it's um, it's actually the film with that uh, the original ending. So it's not not even like a deleted scene on it. It's actually just in mm -hmm. incorporated into the movie, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. And so yeah, it was surreal to actually see something that I'd read about and was sort of like sort of like this myth for a while. Um, mm -hmm. And I've heard of alternate endings before to movies, of course, but um, I, I never seen anything quite so different from the version that was actually released. Yeah. Uh, much darker. Um, even Frank Oz says on his commentary for it that it's, it's like a, a nightmare. Yep. Subsequent to the events you have just witnessed Similar events in cities across America Events which bore striking resemblance To the ones you have just seen begin occurring You have just witnessed unsuspecting trucks from Maine to California.
So I'll explain where the differences start. So the, the ending of the film, or towards the end of the film, um, you know, we see Audrey with the plant, you know, after he's called her over, because he obviously wants to eat her, and he starts to eat her. Um, and we do see this in the, in the film that was released theatrically as well. Mm -hmm. But and the difference is in the original is that, she, you know, she comes out severely wounded, like, you know, drastically, and there's no saving her. So she tells Seymour she wants to go somewhere that's green, and he actually... It's sort of like a ritualistic scene. Actually, I wish you had mm. seen this part. I should, I yeah. should have looked for to send it to you because I wanted you to see this. That he, you know, he kind of. It's almost like this religious, like, like act where oh, he's, like, he's like, he's like bringing her, you know, to mm -hmm. the plant, and he's like, you know, so distraught. But he, mm -hmm. it's just like the only thing he knows what to do at that, at that moment, and he feeds her to the plant, uh, which is already like devastating and like, what is happening? Um, yeah. And then from there, he actually goes up, he runs up to across the street and up to a rooftop to commit suicide. So it only gets darker from there. It's, <laughs> it's, it's very, yes, very dark. Um, and that's the scene where the person is actually played by a different actor. I forget the na his name right now, but it's not Jim Belushi because uh, they actually reshot it with Jim Belushi. But another actor mm -hmm. comes out and he plays the businessman who, who tells him, you know, every home in America is going to have this plant, you know, and he's holding one of the little plant because the, the, they, they had cut off mm -hmm. like the stems of the plant or something like that uh, or like little leaflets from the plant. Yeah. Um, and he tells him it's going to be bigger than, hoop, you know, hula hoops. And and that's when uh, Seymour kind of realizes that he has to stop the plant like he has. You know, that's like his mission. So then he goes back into the shop and he has that scene with Audrey, too, that we do see in the movie, which is um, actually an added song. Um, uh, at the end, Mean Green Mother from Outer Space, where they, he sings that to him and kind of reveals mm -hmm. that he's this alien being that's come down, you know, to take over the world. Uh, and that's that was what the plan was the, the entire time. And so, you know, Seymour does square off against the plant, but he loses, which is different from the theatrical ending. And the plant ends up eating him, which is also very... Like that's when it happens. When you see it, it's very ritualistic, and and it's it's like part of the song, but it's it's very surreal uh, mm -hmm. when it when it happens. The the main character is now devoured by this plant. So now all the main characters that we that we were with are are dead, and it's just the plants. And then from there is where things really take off. Uh, we see our our Greek chorus, I guess we could call them. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the doo-wop singers, they return. Uh, they perform one final number called Don't Feed the Plants. So it's a, there's an additional song as well. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, you know, talking about how homes across America have, have now have this plant. And <laughs> they've, they've bought this little seedling of a plant and it grows into what Audrey Two grew into. And they proceed to take over the country. Uh, so it's like countrywide, utter carnage and destruction as the plants multiply and go on a rampage through the streets of various towns across America, uh, and along with that song to end the film as well. So it's very apocalyptic. Um, also sort of like an homage to King Kong and Godzilla movies, it seems like. Mm -hmm. I think Frank Oz mentioned that in his commentary as well. Um, but, you know, full-on miniatures, uh, the whole, you know, explosions, the, the plants popping out of walls and and uh, swallowing trains and all kinds of like flipping over cars, you know, they, they go all the way with it. Um, I, and it ends with them climbing on top of the empire, or I'm sorry, on top of the, uh, the Statue, of Statue of Liberty. And um, it says the end, you know, as the military is like attacking them in full mm -hmm. Godzilla, King Kong style. Um, it says the end comes on screen and, but it is like question marks after it, which is very, <laughs> very B movie. 
it becomes full yeah. on B movie essentially is what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, the to the point where the <laughs> the plant itself actually comes through the movie theater screen and starts laughing at the audience. So they really went for it. Um, mm-hmm. And everything about it is just so different. Uh, not only from the ending that we got, but from the rest of the film. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'll say it again, it's this much darker tone and, and these action sequences, which we re- hadn't really seen until then. And the movie opens up uh, to show, you know, other parts of the country and things like that. Um, but yeah, the, the use of miniatures and the brazen destruction mm-hmm. and terror uh, that these over- <laughs> ever-grown plants are inflicting on the public. I mean, it's just, it really is nightmarish. And again, it is the same uh, ending as the play. So it's, yeah. it's true to the play. Um, I, I wonder how that would play, because I, I obviously haven't seen this play. Mm-hmm. Like, how that would play in front of a, an audience who are going to see a funny musical. Yeah. Like, because, well, you know, like, normally, like, like you know, I mean, my, my mom has a musical theater background, mm-hmm. and every, she always said, you have to send the audience home singing. And mm-hmm. it's like, this just ends, like, it doesn't end with, like, a, a yeah. catchy number. It's just, so I wonder if the musical... Well, there's a, with there some is a, kind of a number. What, no, so it, well, it's the song "Don't Feed the Plants," which, uh, when you watch the scene, it, it does play over the. They do sing it in the the scene. Yeah, but it, it does it doesn't have that feel of like you know mm-hmm. the whole cast comes out oh, and they're yeah, all singing this certainly. song and you leave in a yeah. good mood. Oh like, yeah, it's, it's, and it's not like like super catchy kind of. It's like yeah, it's, at it's least very in the, in it's the, like the down version. down tempo. Yeah, like the, the like the "Don't Feed the Plants." It's kind of more at least to me, serving as like background. You know, it's it's not it's not at the mm-hmm. center. It's not centered in the way that like, mm-hmm. you know. I do uh, like that the the three singers return. Uh, at yeah, the end, I do which, like that. Which is yeah. something that doesn't really. It kind of happens in the other ending that we get. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. I do like that they at least sing one last song. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think again, it's just the tone is so different, um, yeah. and the fact that they even attempted to film this and that they did film it um, is amazing yeah. to me that they mm-hmm. allowed them to do that. The producers, David Geffen, uh, I, I think David mm-hmm. Geffen was actually against it, um, but, yeah. but um, you know, kind of gave them his blessing to try it at least. Um, it definitely makes the movie more of a cautionary tale. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like showing the repercussions of Seymour's actions, um, mm-hmm. you know, which are taken much more lightly in the, in the version that we did see originally uh, in theaters. Yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think it's hard to pull off a downer ending with like a, a horror comedy for mm-hmm. some reason it's like i'm thinking of um like like get out which is definitely less of a comedy you know because thematically what it's taking on is heavier mm-hmm. but you know get out still has plenty of very funny moments in it and the tone isn't necessarily like you know like it kind of has a punchy tone yeah and i I've, i haven't seen the original ending but i've heard that get out originally without spoiling it for anyone that get out originally had like a serious downer ending and in the same way that, like, this movie, they tested it. And, yeah. like, you know, Jordan Peele just bit the bullet and was like, yeah, you know what, like, it, it, it doesn't change the message to have a, a slightly happier ending. It just kind of makes it a more satisfying, complete experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that with this, this like, that's probably what they kind of landed on is, like... Because it's, def- like, I, I like this ending as someone who's, you know, into into kind of darker more pessimistic film mm-hmm. but as you know just thinking of it like it's definitely a less satisfying ending you kind of leave you know just kind of being like okay i uh, i thought about I it guess. and if i i love this ending i think it's i do think it's better in a lot of mm-hmm. ways but yeah what ending would i rather my five-year-old daughter see <laughs> yeah. you know that's kind of what i how i left it i'm like okay kind of makes sense I, so well you you mentioned the test audiences so i wanted to talk about that so 
they mm-hmm. they showed the film with this ending to test audiences and the reactions were like what is happening like almost like in tears like you know so they mm-hmm. they had to change it um that, that, i mean that's what mm-hmm. led to the change um and that's when i went back and reshot things and made mm-hmm. made seymour the hero and there's an interesting mm-hmm. quote from frank oz about um he you know when he's talking about this he says when you're watching a play this isn't a direct quote but just what, essentially what he was saying is when you're watching a play and the lead actors are killed or die you see them come back on stage for a bow right yeah but in a, a in, a, in a movie you don't they're just dead mm-hmm. uh which he thinks is kind of what happened with that because yeah the play like you said like you were like oh, how does it work with the play in the play it, it makes sense in a weird way it just does i well, don't you know probably, to explain more, when you're watching when you that, have that you, suspension of disbelief that you could only have with yeah. like a theatrical play it just kind of makes sense um and the yeah. way they ha- the, the way they handle it, it's a little bit more goofy i think than the movie does yeah well and, um, and the way you know the, the seeing them come out for a bow they're probably coming out to a bow with the little shot little shot, yeah like that's exactly probably playing in the background so that's it's, what, it's like you, you yeah. leave them yeah so that's what you leave with so it's different mm-hmm. um also frank oz talked about the power of the close-up on actors like he's talking about mm-hmm. how different a film is from a theatrical play yeah. you know you know seeing it from your seat however far away and sort of mm-hmm. like this wide static shot as opposed to seeing the close-ups of the, the actors faces and being empathetic with them and mm-hmm. things like that i mean which you can you can be empathetic in a play but it's just different it's different it's, it's yeah. you know and I, I do understand that um that it is mm-hmm. just very different um also um an important distinction you never actually see seymour kill anyone technically in the film that's another thing i noticed when i watched it again like it's yeah, all, no, that it, was that was actually it's it's funny enough that was i went to a, a film festival recently a, a brooklyn horror film festival which i think i mentioned on the last episode too it, it, great mm-hmm. festival go if you get the chance but i went to a trivia uh, a trivia night and one of the one of the questions was how many people did seymour kill in uh <laughs> Oh, in Little Shop yeah, of Horrors. That's a good and one. I and, I, and it was it was a trick question because Seymour actually Zero. you know hmm. he does not kill anybody. Yeah, it's always something else that causes the death. Um, yeah, though he is complicit in it. I feel like um, you know, and he goes yeah, well, he like, goes like, to the dentist's the, office with the intention. He has a gun in his hand, like he has the intention. Or of like it, but. you know, with like Mushnik, right? He's like backing yeah. him up, right, into the monster. yeah. Exactly. Like it's not like he he knew it was gonna happen. He indirectly he, kind of causes it. He indirectly, yeah, yeah. Um, but it does keep his character somewhat likable throughout the film. Yeah. Um, and you are rooting for him in the end. Um, mm-hmm. So that, you know, again, that kind of makes sense with, with why they would change the ending. And um, another thing that Frank Oz says is that he wasn't making the film for two people. And he's referring to himself and uh, the the person that uh, was originally involved with, um, with the play. The, and he wrote the screenplay for this film, Howard Ashman, who wrote the songs mm-hmm. as well. Um, so he wasn't making the film for them, you know. He was making it for a general audience um, and producer <laughs> David Geffen, of course, who, who of course, who, yeah. who like all along the way was saying like this this ending will never work. Like we have to shoot yeah. something else. So um, you know, because he was concerned. Although I, I respect that he he put his money up and let them at least try it. That is that is the, the amazing thing to me about this that they yeah. actually did it. Uh, the miniatures, you know, every, everything about it just looks amazing to me. Um, the miniatures were made by. A, a person who made the miniatures for uh, the Terry Gilliam film, actually, Bra- Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't have his name in front of me right now, but, yeah, he did a, a great job. And uh, mm-hmm. obviously put so much work into it. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people did. But um, th- that's what, what kind of floors me, just, like, 
like the epitome this is the epitome of like mm-hmm. of just i don't know have, have you ever heard of a obviously like there have been alternate endings before actually brazil i think has alternate endings um but i mean have you mm-hmm. ever seen anything this drastically different than what it's hard to think the of ending one. that we got like it's just yeah it's it's yeah um, i don't know it, it's tough off the top of my mind i can't think of one that like i mean i'm sure it's out there yeah but it's you know or I, i've definitely heard of things where it's like people are on set and they're making the movie and mm-hmm. as they're going along, they, like, realize that there's something that you don't need. Like, I know, um, well, it's interesting. I actually wanted to bring this up, this one up because it was making me think of it. But in, like, Pulp Fiction, I know I, I've heard Quentin Tarantino talking before about how, like, the there's a sequence right at the end where he's, these two hitmen are in this uh, diner and there's kind of a stick-up situation. Mm-hmm. And originally, the hitman, there was this whole sequence where he, like, ended up, and he, in the end, you know, spoiler alert, assuming we, spo- most we of spoil our... everything on this show <laughs> yeah although I'm, I'm assuming you know so if not skip ahead uh, yeah. a minute and a half yeah but uh, you know i'm assuming most of our listeners have seen pulp fiction because of the type of listeners we have <laughs> um but like you know he in, in the end he doesn't end up shooting anyone in the in the movie but in in the original script he, there was a sequence where he did shoot everyone mm-hmm. like he, he pulled the trigger and ends up killing like everyone in the diner because there's this massive shootout Mm-hmm. and like it's really bloody and then and then you cut back to him and you realize it's like him thinking about what would happen if he pulled the trigger oh okay um and i and so so i i know that was a big cut but they oh, didn't shoot it all that made me think of another one clerks had a very different ending very yeah different. yeah clerks very, had a, the clerks had a very different ending. Yeah, a, yeah a bigger a big downer too kind of like this big ending. downer ending yeah <laughs> where he but, gets but, a, but with well, the, he gets well we can spoil clerks yeah right? we don't need to say but where, but he, with, with yeah. the with the pulp fiction one I, I was thinking about that because I was thinking with this movie, although it would probably make it very long, that was something that they could have done. Mm-hmm. Was like they could have had. I mean, it would have taken a little bit of a, a re-editing and figuring yeah. out. But they could have had Seymour like thinking about like like yeah. go to like <laughs> go to the top something. of the building to like jump off <laughs> yeah. and then think about like he pictures what would happen. Yeah, if he or at least save have the day. Yeah, at least have like flashes of it. You know, just have like quick cuts of. Yeah, you know, because they didn't... like show show the district because they spent they probably spent. I mean, if the movie is ninety five minutes long and it costs thirty million dollars to make, mm. like they were spending, they spent millions on this. Yeah, sequence. I mean, we say like, ending, but a... we say ending, but it was a good twenty minutes. That's that's different. Yeah, like in the... it's like like that, like you know, like that's they probably spent five million dollars. You know, on oh yeah, easy on this stuff that they cut, mm-hmm. which you know, luckily it's out now and we get this cool thing. But yeah. that's a lot of money for a, a, yeah. a short film, essentially. Yeah, Frank Oz was talking about like when he had to make the call to the guy who, who worked on the miniatures and everything, and like tell him that they weren't yeah. going to use it. Just how terrible he felt and all that. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. can't imagine. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the guy was sad, but the guy was sad with a new car and a new house. Yeah, he still <laughs> seemed a little. I, I saw an interview with him. I wish I could tell you his name right right now, but um. Yeah, he, he still seemed a little, not bitter, but just you know. He, I mean, I get it. But he was he was at least glad that people could see it in some way. Um, yeah, and I'm, well, and you know, yeah. he definitely got paid generously. Yes, I'm sure he still and, got. You know, paid. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you know. But, I'm, it, but it I'm sure he was very proud of what he had made too. You know? Yeah, no, of course, of course, you always want to see your work come yeah. out. And it was devastating, I'm sure. Yeah. Um. um to to have, it. but you know, at the same time, you got to understand it's like. Uh, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking of you know, as someone who's done my own projects, and someone who's worked on other people's. Like I've definitely had situations where like I've shot a film and had to. I ended up you know there there was one thing I shot where I I had a a, a part in a film that was initially initially much bigger 
and in cutting it together, I ended up cutting just most of this one actor's lines. Mm -hmm. And like, it was, it was a really hard conversation to have, but it just made, it was just like, it made sense for the film. Yeah. It made sense for the film. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't moving it forward Mm -hmm. enough. Um, it, It was, it was just kind of, it was making these scenes kind of drag and, but it was a really hard conversation to have yeah, with that actor certainly. because I knew that he had worked really hard and, you know, prepared for mm-hmm. it. And, you yeah. know, but it, at the end of the day, it's like <laughs> with, with any big creative project, you have to do what's best for the, the project. Right. Yeah. And in, in this situation, I mean, I, I like I love the I love this this alternate ending with the, the downer ending mm-hmm. as like a piece of experimental film. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it feels much more like it feels much more like uh like a Francois Truffaut kind of ending <laughs> yeah. where it's just kind of, you're watching one movie and I mean, there's one movie like, like the movie Jules and Jim without saying mm. what happens, like kind of has a similar thing where it's one thing tonally for about 90% of the movie. And then in the last 10 minutes just transforms into something totally mm-hmm. different. Um, and, and this feels like that. So I, I love it in that regard, but in terms of like classically good, you know, mm. so everything up neatly storytelling, the 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 ending that they ended up going with with the theatrical version I think is is you know so you, hits the beats a lot more cleanly yeah so you like think it, it feel you think it makes sense that they they changed it then yeah I I think for the tone of the film mm-hmm. it feels much more in line even like like you know I mean I know they didn't set up like the 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 electricity cable kind of thing yeah but like even the way he just sticks his arm out of the pile of rubble <laughs> like you don't see like you don't see him emerge. You know, from the yeah. the pile and have this big heroic moment. It's just his arm just pops out, and then he just t- which feels like, the, like if, th- that visual humor is very in line with the rest mm-hmm. of the film. Yeah, um, cartoony. And then and then it goes back. You know, you see them in the house that yeah, she I, was always I, dreaming about. Yeah, I do like that. It goes back to the somewhere that's green uh, song that she sang, and and it also you know it also and also as a sorry, what were you gonna say? I was just gonna say you know as a as a kind of statement you know with because obviously the movie is saying a lot. You know, in terms of the the Americana kind of approach yeah. to capitalism, and and you know the idea of the evil at the end, just kind of, even though you think you've defeated the evil and we're all good, which once again talking about this is a movie coming out coming out, you know, right at the end of the Cold War, or near the end, you know, a few years away from the end of the Cold War, and you know, it's like you think that you've you've dealt with the evil and saved the day and you have this all American heroic thing, but then out of the green grass of the suburbs, the evil is growing again. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting statement. I did like, yeah, I did like that. They added an allusion to the original ending or the original yeah. fate, I guess, of the characters in the country. Mm-hmm. Cause it, it does end with, um, like we said, a re- reprise of the imagery from uh, somewhere that's green, the, the musical number that she sings. And one mm-hmm. of the, one of the plants in their idyllic little garden, uh, mm-hmm. suddenly starts to move and smile at, at us, at the camera, I guess. Yeah. Which I, I thought was a really nice touch. And it, it does harken back to that darker ending. And mm-hmm. so you still kind of get the feeling of it um, at the very yeah, end, right. there, which I, is cool. Yeah, because yeah. for me, like, I don't know, like, I, I like both endings in different ways, but yeah. I, I do think that, you know, like, the the if we're talking about, you know, like kind of a show-don't-tell kind of ending, the, the implication... You know, like mm-hmm. letting your mind run wild and have to think about, you know, because obviously the implication there is the plant is in, you know, Seymour and uh, Seymour and Audrey's garden mm-hmm. is that it's going to get them first, you <laughs> yeah. know, like they're going to be the first one. So it kind yeah. of is like this thing where like, I, I don't know, I, I like, I, I like, I, I you know, I, yeah, I love a good weird downer alternative ending, but I also, I, you know, I, I think either one of them works. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not one of those people who's going to 
dig in and say, oh, they, you know, they, they were just appeasing the audiences and came up with, because I actually, I think that the ending that they ended up going with for the theatrical release is still a solid ending. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a little less as surprising, much, but yeah, as much as I love the original ending and I think it's so like cool and everything, I just, mm-hmm. you, you have, you have to just, you have to take a step back and think about what they were thinking over the time and their investments yeah. and all their time that had gone into it. Yeah. And it does make sense. You know, it does. Um, and also from a filmmaking standpoint, like you said, you yeah. know, some, you have to do but what, I, I do right think it's film. a good ending yeah I, like I, yeah. I don't I don't think it's don't like think a, it, a cop out where I yeah. was rolling my eyes like if I never knew that that alternate ending existed mm-hmm. I would not even like I would be satisfied yeah with that you would ending. never know about it yeah yeah so they did their job well for sure mm-hmm. um, but I am glad the original ending still exists in some way like we were saying yeah even if people need to seek it out somewhat to find it mm-hmm. and if you weren't aware of it if you're listening to this now and you weren't aware of it please do uh, try to seek it out. I think it's on YouTube, but um, yeah. they used to have the full version of it on YouTube. I don't know if it's because the version I sent you, Jeremy, was they didn't have. Um, it's a little shorter. The, er- yeah. the earlier scenes where he's feeding Audrey to the plan and, mm-hmm. and is about to commit mm-hmm. suicide and things like that. But I'm sure if you seek mm-hmm. it out again, the DVD does have it, the director's cut, um, and mm-hmm. I'm sure the Blu-ray as well. Um, I, I will say, you know, because we we talk about this as a cult movie, and I feel like that thing we were talking about before, where like. You know, my parents have seen it, and it it, it has that kind of cultural, uh, you know, like 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 it's a movie that became pretty big and spread. I don't think with that original ending it would have been that. Mm-hmm. I actually think that original ending probably would have turned a lot of people off from it. Yeah, it would have been um, even more cult. <laughs> it would have it would have been fringe. like a, it would it would have been like a movie that you know had like a, a following at the time, but not like it would have been the people who are seeing it like mm-hmm. midnight screens yeah, and stuff it's it's almost, and then over time you know yeah it, it's almost cooler that it's like it really is like this deleted thing that you can kind of yeah. find if find if you want to but exactly um, of course i've like made my wife watch it like this is so cool <laughs> she couldn't care less about it i wonder i wonder uh, if they remade the movie if they would i mean obviously it would depend on who's making it if they would which ending i know use. yeah i i i don't know um i would love to see i was gonna say like well i, I want to talk about the idea of a remake but I, I would love to see this ending on a big screen. I w- you know I, I wanted to finish by yeah. saying that because like I, I projected it on a, like a you know a small screen, but I would love yeah. to see it in a like in a theater maybe someday. Who knows? But um, yeah. yeah, to go there's back, probably, there's, there's got to be someone we could convince to do that. You know, <laughs> it there's, just, there's you enough know, independent theaters. Smaller, between, yeah, like um, you know, you know, films have traveled have had had like road shows where they'll show different yeah. versions of it and things like that. So it's not mm-hmm. it's not totally out of the realm of possibility. Um, yeah. and it already exists. I'll, I'll, I'll make a note. I, I I know a guy who does some programming <laughs> oh, for a local theater, would, so maybe I would be there front row. <laughs> you travel yeah. to New York. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't know. He might. He might. But it, it, I think it would be a cool thing. So, yeah, so definitely. Maybe, I know. Yeah. I'll, I'll put I'll put some feelers out. Awesome. That'd, that'd be great. Um, and you mentioned a remake too. Uh, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I just. <laughs> I mean, when it gets, it's it's gonna be. It's inevitable at this point. Like that, it's gonna. Get a well, remake, apparently there was there was a remake in the works. There was one point. in the works, I, yeah. But it is it kind of uh, seemed to have fallen through, yeah. Um, and I'm sure it'll be obviously CGI, you know. And I'm you know, but yeah. I, I think a lot will be lost, you know, like we've we've talked about before. And obviously, this whole series is about practical effects, uh, and and how you know how different they are. And I, I think just that tactical quality will be lost, and I don't know. Like, would my mm-hmm. daughter's mouth drop open at a CGI creature on the screen? Maybe. I don't know. Well, well I'm also just looking. I think a lot of it would also depend on, like, casting. 
casting like how as they're well. approaching it. Because I think so much of what makes you know the the, 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 the I was about to say the original, but it's not the original. The 1986 version work mm-hmm. is um, that like the casting is kind of so offbeat. You know, like yeah. the, the like Rick Moranis is not like a a big you know handsome sex icon oh yeah star kind of i was guy. thinking that too like you would never see that you know, kind of like because I'm, I'm looking at the and i don't i, I can't i can't uh i don't know how true oh. any of this is it's just but i'm saying i'm seeing here it said it the was actor who played the captain america talk, right uh, yeah so so it was taron egerton who i believe was uh elton john mm. in that movie and okay. rocket man was in talks to play seymour scarlett johansson as audrey which I'm a big fan of hers, but I don't see that Scarlett casting Johansson. personally. Yeah, that's a, I don't know about like, that. Like, she, she's a, she's a terrific actress. If if uh, like the the under the skin yeah movie, oh the, yeah the for sure it's terrific and like so she's great. Like there's no knock on her, but like I just don't see her as Audrey. And then Billy Porter voicing Audrey too, which that I could actually see. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see Billy Porter. Yeah, but it's just it's just one of those things where it's like you know I, I think the, the casting you know like Mister Mister Mushnick and all like you you need these people who kind of feel like like for lack of a better term like real yeah you know like kind of no one in this movie felt like someone who you would be seeing uh, you know on the cover of a fashion magazine yeah oh they all chris evans uh that's who they were yeah. that's who they were talking about <laughs> and scarlett johansson for mr mushnick yeah oh him no oh for mr mushnick okay that's interesting oh no dr scrivello dr scrivello oh yeah. okay that i could see all right that I could see. which i could see but even so it's but again, still like it's one of those not, things where it's yeah, like it's, i feel like steve martin's kind of shagginess Mm. You know, like the, the he he already feels kind of rough around the edges and sporadic. Yeah. It just kind of there was a different but, quality to the actors for sure. Um, yeah. and but the, who knows? You know, it, it, you never know. It could work. Also, the the practicality of the puppet. You know, the, going from the stage play, it just makes a lot of sense that they would use a puppet in the yeah. film. Um, and, you know, as they do in this this original film. Um, so you know, it's, a, it's such a large part of the movie and. Like part of the magic of the play and also this film, I think, is the puppet and is the plant. Um, one of mm-hmm. the it's one of the major charms of it, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and just how impressive it is with all the intricate puppetry and everything. I just feel yeah. like you know if they remade it with CGI, I don't know. It, it, that's something that would get lost, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. um, oh, and they also made a kids cartoon out of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last thing I wanted to mention. Interesting. They made a yeah. It came out like years later. I think I think it was like ninety two or something. It mm-hmm. uh, it's very it's very comical, and it's uh, essentially if if Seymour was a child like a kid, with this mm-hmm. this younger version of the plant. You know this cool hip version of of the <laughs> of the plant. Uh, so yeah, that came out and that exists, <laughs> along with the original <laughs> ending, which again I'm glad people can see if they want to. Um. But yeah, this movie, to sum it all up, I guess I'll say it's a musical, it's comedy, it's horror. Uh, it's a movie that fits into a lot of different categories, but I'm glad uh, we finally got to talk about it, and I think it fits well with this series. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what are your parting thoughts on Little Shop of Horrors, Jeremy? Yeah, just a, just a good kind of fun cult classic. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I mean, we're assuming you've watched it, but I feel like... Uh, <laughs> Gotta you know, do your homework to listen to this show, you know? Yeah, but, you know, definitely, definitely. If you haven't checked out the alternate ending, and yeah. you know, like this, this is like many we talk about on this show, but this is definitely one you know good watch with your friends kind mm-hmm. of movie, especially if they haven't seen it. Yeah, as much um, of I, as much as as I've talked about the alternate ending uh, or the original ending on this show, I, I think I still can't do it justice. Like you just have to watch it, 
it's one of those things yeah. that you can't you can't really oversell because it's it's just is mm-hmm. so mind blowing. Um, yeah. Well, watch the, the movie first, probably. Yeah. Watch watch yeah. the original or watch the, the theatrical released ending and then watch the mm-hmm. the original. So we're assuming you have if you're if you made it <laughs> this far into the have, podcast, mostly, we're but, assuming you've seen um, the original. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, you're like, what the hell are these guys talking about? Um, yeah. But yeah, that's Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, one of my favorites. Really glad we finally got to talk about it. You can finally justify its image in our promotional material. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that, that's going to do it for us. Uh, we'll be back next time with another practical effect mm-hmm. creature feature. But for now, thanks for listening to Cult Movie Cult. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, the usual social media. Or I guess it's called X now. You can find us on the usual social media. If you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, or if you'd like to officially join the cult, be a guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at cultmoviecult at gmail.com. This has been Cult Movie Cult, and until next time, so long from the other side.